Hey, Sound Opinions listeners, if you support us on Patreon, you get to listen to our podcast ad-free on Patreon. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're talking with filmmaker Sasha Jenkins about his new documentary on the hip-hop innovator Biz Marquis. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, let's review some new music from Cleo Soul, Cherry Glazer, and Boy Genius. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Don't you ever be afraid in your own home. That is a track called In Your Own Home from the new Cleo Soul record, Gold. If you don't know that name, Cleo Soul, you may know her from 11 Salt albums. 11, yes. We've Four reviewed last f- year? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We've reviewed a few of those on the show. Uh, Salt is a big favorite around here. She's a big part of that group. It, and it's, uh, there's a lot of mystery surrounding uh, Salt. Uh, the one thing we do know is that one Dean Josiah Cover, otherwise known as Inflow, is the, uh, the producer, multi-instrumentalist, uh, songwriter in the group. Cleo happens to be his wife. Uh, she's involved in a lot of the, uh, the vocals that are used on those albums. But uh, Cleo has her own career going as well. Mm-hmm. Gold is now her fourth solo album. There's been two Salt-like uh, <laughs> releases, uh, Heaven and Gold, within a couple of weeks. A span of no weeks. No hype, yeah. no pre-ambles. Nope. Like Salt, they just sort of appear out of the, the ether. And here we have a new, a new album. Uh, Cleo Soul, unlike Salt, does perform live. She sold out uh, shows recently at uh, in England. Huge attraction. Lo- uh, London's uh, Royal Albert Hall hosted a couple of nights uh, mm-hmm. with Cleo Soul recently. So she is uh, developing a much higher profile in the UK uh, currently than she has in the US. Uh, but these releases are slowly changing things. She's emerging as an artist in her own right. So Heaven and Gold came out consecutively. We're going to focus on the latest of the two. Gold. Uh, gold. Uh, and, and let's play a track from that record. There Will Be No Crying from Cleo Soul on Sound Opinions. Because there will be no Cleo's soul, there will be no crying. Um, Cleopatra Zvezdana Nikolic, Greg, uh, born of a Serbian-Spanish mom and a Jamaican father, both jazz musicians. That is a, uh, wow, what a rich heritage, right? Yeah. And I think the thing with both Cleo's soul and salt, and I want to emphasize, if you're wondering who we're talking about, S-A-U-L-T. 
All right, 11 albums, four last year. Greg and I are big fans, full of mystery. Um, I think the thing to emphasize is how broad the musical influences are, both for Cleo Soul and for Salt. Gold album is primarily uh, a gospel record, a modern mm. gospel, neo-soul, R&B record, uh, in which I hear a lot of Stevie Wonder, a lot of Erica Badu, a lot of Jill Scott, um, but there's more. You know, uh, that song, Please Don't End It All, uh, did, you catch, did you catch where the chorus comes from? No. Black Sabbath. She's oh. echoing changes by okay. Black Sabbath. Okay. You're gonna find your way And all it takes is better days Cause everybody's going through changes And, you know, I think that underscores the approach that she and her husband Inflo take. Uh, they are musical uh, musically voracious all over the map and uh, you know the electronic and soul elements coming together soul real instruments and electronic uh, production that is you know second to none uh, but when I say this is a gospel album look by no means is the album two weeks ago <laughs> two weeks before gold uh, heaven by no means is it a bad record but it's less focused it's kind of all over the map whereas gold is is pretty darn near a masterpiece greg um this is a true record of transcendence and cleo has said uh this album was made for God. And wow, it sounds that way in terms of uplift and spirituality. However you define the higher power, uh, it is it is about drawing on it to get through difficult times, uh, to maintain hope, which is essential in these often very dark days. Um, both with Salt and, and Cleo Soul, uh, there hasn't been a bad record. There's just been records that are a little more focused than others and more satisfying beginning to end than others. And I think uh, this is Cleo Soul's best because I went back, and of course you have to listen to Heaven being only two weeks ago, and the other two albums proper that preceded it. There have been EPs. There's been all the Salt work. Um you know, I want to pose a question to you before I hear your thoughts. Don't you think, to some extent, both Cleo and Salt are hurting themselves by releasing so much music? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't even think that factors into what they're thinking about, because clearly it's not a good idea to release so much music to the point where people just get overwhelmed Over, by easy, the it's amount easy to miss of it. some greatness yeah. and the thing is there's so much good stuff in now in those records you know you think oh man if it would you know if they consolidated the absolute cream of the crop yeah. to one record instead of four imagine what you'd have but i i'm not complaining you know um i, no. I, I love the fact that they seem to be working outside the traditional parameters of what used to be the music industry and and doing things on their own terms completely um, they're incredibly prolific. I wonder if Inflow ever sleeps, you know, yeah. let alone Cleo. Uh, it, it's just an incredible output of, of, of material. Um, you know, it, it's not quite, uh, her records are not quite as musically ambitious as the right, Salt records. Right. They are really sprawling in terms of their reach. Uh, there's an aggressive side to Salt that she never really approaches. No. But this is a, you know, this is a great meditative type of record. You know, it's one of those records where you, the voice fits beautifully with those spacious arrangements. And the songs are, the phrases are sort of like mantras. Things will get better. Only love can wait. There will be no crying. Please don't end it all. Right. It, we're not talking about deep sentiments here, but it's more about just contemplation, meditation, uh, you know, a little bit, I would, I would say escapism, but I, I, I think there's points in this record where it goes beyond that. Well, and you it, mentioned they, the gospel almost, influence. They, if you look at the lyrics, they almost read like prayers. Yeah, it, it is prayerful, and it is definitely like you're contemplating, meditating. The gospel stuff is what really I love the most. Mm -hmm. When the gospel element is really foregrounded, and her voice really starts to show its range, you know, that, that song... Uh, Lost Angel uh, is just incredible. And through love, our souls 
be no crying. I love that song. In Your Own Home was a track that really hit home for me, really stretching her voice. That soul vibe is there. Uh, something more intense in that song, the yearning and uh, the consolation, which is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Don't you ever be afraid in your own home. And I'm thinking about what's going on in the Middle East right uh, now yeah. and Ukraine. And those lines just really hit me hard. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just kind of like this, okay, uh, nobody should be afraid in their own home, but uh, half the world is, you know? Uh, you, you know, uh, you know I, I will confess and, and pay you a compliment. I mean, uh, I was always uh, respecting gospel music. I just didn't feel like I ever had a handle on it until I read your book about Mavis Staples and putting gospel in the context of community activism, really, yeah. and the whole history of the civil rights movement, you know, and since I have been, uh, you know, a huge fan, listening to the, you know, you name it, going back to the Reverend Thomas A. Dorsey, right. Albertina Walker, Mahalia Jackson, of course, the Staples, and I think that Cleo Soul fits very much in that lineage. Uh modern and soulful sexy and uh and and aware of the world around us but but reaching for a higher purpose right right absolutely well that's what we thought on cleo soul now we want to hear from you leave us a message with your thoughts on our website soundopinions.org when we return more new music album reviews uh of boy genius and cherry glazer and a conversation about the legacy of Biz Markey. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. Sound Opinions is sponsored by Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success. Skip the grocery store, prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options. Factor now offers additional options like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep you going no matter what's on the schedule. When things get hectic, Factor is flexible. Change your order up every week or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. So if you want to try Factor and make your life easier, here's what you need to do. Head to factormeals.com soundops50 and use code soundops50 to get 50% off. That's code soundops50 at factormeals.com soundops50 to get 50% off. Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island. Since 1988, Goose Island has been brewing award-winning beers in Chicago that are inspired by this city. Take 312 Lemonade Shandy, Tropical Beer Hug Double IPA, and a rotating series of hazy IPAs only available in Chicago. Uh, you know, every time we go down to Goose Island, there's another one that they're pushing on us. That's right. You and know, they're all good. Absolutely. And uh, what supporters of, of musical culture, you know, in, in the city of Chicago and elsewhere, uh, if you go to a show in Chicago and you see that Goose Island uh, sign, you know, you know you're in good hands. Uh, they're music fans as well as great uh, beer makers at Goose Island, so we're really proud to be associated with them. The Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. Out here it gets so dark You can see the stars The ones The headlines said this morning We're being spat out Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. That is a little bit of a track called Black Hole from a new EP called The Rest from Boy Genius. Boy Genius, man, this is their year. 2023, the year of Boy Genius. Mr. Cott, I've said it before, I'll say it again. When I'm talking to my 18-year-old uh, college students, the reverence with which they speak of this supergroup, Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lucy Dacus, um, I haven't seen it since 
kids used to talk about Nirvana mm-hmm. when Nirvana, when Kurt Cobain was alive. Okay, uh, Supergroup is a title uh, that, that that is barely relevant. Yes, they all three had careers on their own before coming together, but it truly is not like take one thing from column A and another from column C. These three friends uh, in joining together have created an entity even bigger than themselves. And by no means is that to slight their solo output. Um, you know, started with an EP back in 2018. Uh, then the debut studio album, The Record, simple title, came out uh, this spring, and Alex Claiborne and I got to have a splendid chat with all three members of Boy Genius while they were in bed together. <laughs> <laughs> and don't don't read that wrong. They are way out in front uh, in their outspokenness about uh, uh, gay rights, uh, and, uh, and are proud to take a stand, and it is connecting with people. One of the many things uh, connecting with this audience that, that is absolutely devoted to them and which you know the high point this year was they headlined madison square garden Mm. wow show me an indie band able to do that now comes this ep the rest the rest of what are they about to take a rest and retire the super group for a little while to go back to their solo careers are they just wanting a rest after a year of nonstop touring and promoting that record are these songs that were left off the record the album uh i think it's a little of all of them let's play a track and we'll come back and give our opinions about the latest from boy genius don't usually review eps but uh, but this is an important important band this is a song called powers by boy genius on sound opinions the That is a track called Powers from the new Boy Genius EP, The Rest. Uh, We should point out, we refer to them as an indie band. They all come from indie music backgrounds. They're, of course, recording for powerhouse label Interscope, but there's still a sensibility of that independent music scene. You can hear it in the voices of these three women and in the way they write songs. You know, the rest makes it sound like an afterthought in the same way that uh, the record, their debut album, made it sound like a generic record, you know? Uh, but this is not a, a record of leftovers. This was, no. a, this was recorded, uh, you know, separately from the sessions for the record. And these four songs belong together. I was thinking mm-hmm. it's probably just going to be a bunch of tracks from that session, but it's not. It is very different in tone from uh, the debut album. Uh, the debut album was was more, you know, more rock. You know, yeah. this is a little bit folkier and more atmospheric. In fact, there's only, there's drums from what I can hear, program drums, I think, on only one of the four tracks. Mm-hmm. It's really more more insular. Um, these three personalities, Julian Baker. Okay, she's got this cosmic kind of vibe going in this record. She's scrappy and cosmic. Then there's Lucy uh, Dacus, who is very wry and subtly humorous. Yeah. Uh, She brings that to the table. Cutting wit. And then Phoebe Bridgers with that sort of introspective, ghostly uh, sound. But I hear the three personalities merging in a lot of ways. The sum greater than the parts, you know, that that whole idea. They are definitely becoming a band. And you start to hear it the way they're blending together. And it finishes on that song, Powers, which to me is a perfect capstone, a perfect way, the three voices together, the force of our impact, the fission, the hum of our contact, the sound of our collision. Besides being a great 
song that should have been on the Oppenheimer soundtrack. <laughs> uh, it really talks about the, the band, uh, you know, becoming a band. You know, Oppenheimer or Barbie. Or both, Barbenheimer. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I mean, that is in, yeah. in a nutshell. Uh, you just nailed something there. Uh, Boy Genius is the Barbenheimer of yeah. 2023 because <laughs> yeah, right. uh, there's a little of both. The other thing about uh, Powers that I love, Greg, is just that that way that brass comes in, mm-hmm. right? There's a little bit of orc pop there. There's a little more electronic on these tracks, but right. very subtle. You know, it's not like they're let's do our experimental toss away. You know, these were leftover songs. Right. No, you know, and and uh, let's not forget that these young women uh, are getting older by the day. We all are, right? And they're looking at life from, uh, you know, a perspective. Those those lines, I want to live a vibrant life, but I want to die a boring death. Not mm-hmm. everybody gets the chance to live a life that isn't dangerous. Mm-hmm. I want to live a vibrant life, but I want to die a boring death. I know I was a disappointment Know you wanted me to take a risk Not everybody gets the chance to live A life that isn't dangerous Right? And man, you know, the the world of the working musician is one that is fraught with uh, landmines. Uh, you know, and hell, just living in 2023 yeah. is fraught with landmines. Um these women are deep thinkers. I also read an interview with them about these songs in particular, where Julian Baker was just casually saying, I'd been reading Cruising Utopia by Jose Esteban Munoz, uh, talking about the idea of lived experience being its own work of art, and then the art needing a witness to be savored and appreciated. Right. It's like, you know, so partly when Alex and I were talking to them, partly they're making inside jokes and laughing at each other as they roll around in this huge bed. Right. Right, and partly they're like spurring each other on to artistic uh, discoveries and intellectual revelations. I mean, they think about what they do, and then they do it very naturally. It just comes off as just like, of course, that's what this music sounds well, like. These friends are making. They're it. they're finishing each other's sentences in these yes. songs too, and yeah. that's that's what I think is really starting to sh- to show up. And I really hope. As much as I love each of their solo careers, I can't wait for another album from these guys next year. I agree. I mean, if they went out on the rest, I think it would be a fine capstone. But just greedily, I would like more Boy Genius, please, always. Yes. That is a track called Bad Habit from the new Cherry Glazer record, I Don't Want You Anymore. Fourth album from Cherry Glazer. Cherry Glazer is basically Clementine Creevy. She has been uh, making music since she was a teenager. I saw her in 2017 on the heels of her second album, Apocalyptic. Uh, <laughs> Great title. At South by Southwest. And she, you know, Clementine came across as this sort of scrappy garage rock uh, Hellion, and it was an exciting uh, show. Uh, since then, on the, the subsequent uh, records, um, Stuffed and Ready in 2019, and now the new one, I Don't Want You Anymore, uh, we're starting to see a more expansive approach uh, to the music. Uh, it seems there's no limitations on uh, Clementine Creevy's musical vision. Uh, we're going to review the tr- uh, album in a second. Let's play a track from it. It's called Soft Like a Flower from Cherry Glazer on Sound Opinions. Soft Like a Flower from the fourth album by Cherry Glazer, I Don't Want You Anymore. Um, Greg, it, it probably at this point is a sound opinions cliche when the two of us talk about how we are devoted to that soft, 
hard, uh, mm. ugly, sweet mixture. But, you know, uh, that's a core staple of all great rock music. And Cherry Glazer makes great rock music. Mm -hmm. You know, the way Nirvana could take it way down and gentle and super melodic and then explode in a frenzy. Uh, they do that very well, Clementine and her bandmates. Um, you know, the melodies are beautiful and then the explosions are just fantastic. I think uh, thematically, uh, Crafted has so much great music we've heard uh, of late uh, was uh, during the pandemic. Um, this is a record uh, that mixes devotion and and surrender or obsession, apathy and, and dependency. Uh, it's all summed up in that track, I Could Eat You Like a Pill. Uh, <laughs> I, eat You Like a Pill is the name of the track. And the lyric goes, I could eat you like a pill. I mean, <laughs> what a way to describe an obsessive, loving devotion to anyone or anything. This is a really fun album. You know, it, 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 uh, I think it really is perfecting what Jerry Glazer's always been going for. That hard, soft, uh, sweet, sour combination is there to some extent on the previous three records. But man, this one knocks it out of the park. It's just one great song after another. And Clementine is just an incredible songwriter and front person. Yeah, she's really, uh, you know, everybody says pick a lane. Well, she says, I want all the lanes. Right. Uh, you know, musically. Why limit yourself? So there's, there's, you know, many, many directions that she wants to proceed in. You know, that whole idea, you're absolutely right. The record is about love being an addiction and talking about, you know, at the end, she basically says, I, I want to get rid of you, but I can't. You right. know, right. You, you're, there's no cure for me, is what she's saying. And the music reflects that, you know, uh, this, this whole notion, touched you with my chaos to me is a key song because it really <laughs> yeah, yeah. describes what's going on in this record. I think there's going to be some people who say, well, I don't like the disco song. I don't like the song with the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the blousy ballad, you know, mm -hmm. and, there, and there are examples of that. You mentioned alternative rock, and I think that's that's her that's her comfort zone, and, and she does it very very well. Soft like a flower is really a great track in that vein, that sort of quiet, loud approach. Ready for you is another one mm -hmm. example of that, and the other one I really love, Bad Habit. We played that right off the top. I was not expecting that at all. That sort of wonky machine thing with those episodic yeah. drums going on. Yeah, she's she's really taking her music in some fascinating directions. Not all of it works for me, but when it works, it works great. And I think she's just challenging herself to keep growing as as a as a songwriter. She's so young, and she's already got four albums under her belt. Mm -hmm. She could go anywhere with this. So it's a it's a great advance for her music. A lot of good music this week. Absolutely. That's what we thought, though, of Jerry Glazer and Boy Genius. Uh, as always, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on soundopinions.org. Give us your review. Coming up, the story of Bismarcky with Sasha Jenkins. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island. Since 1988, Goose Island's been brewing beers in the spirit of Chicago. You can find IPAs, lemonade, shandy, and limited releases in store or at one of Goose's venues in Chicago. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's beer. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we're back. This week, we're taking a look at the life of the creative, effervescent hip-hop artist Biz Markey, who died at age 57 in July of 2021. There's a new documentary out now that captures some of what made Biz one of the greatest rappers ever. It was made by a producer, writer, and filmmaker, Sasha Jenkins. It's called All Up in the Biz. Sasha, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I got to say, I am a big Biz Markey fan. I have a man crush on Biz Markey <laughs> since I was a kid. And uh, I, I think you probably did, too. I'm thinking you're probably right about the right age when... 
Biz was just starting to break in uh, big time in, in hip-hop world. And this is a wonderful documentary. What prompted you to want to do a complete uh, look at Biz's life? Well, when Biz was alive, I met with him, actually. He reached out to me, sought me out. He was interested in making a doc about his life, finally. And uh, we had a great conversation and uh, interesting, funny guy. And we talked about all the things that we could potentially do, including the addition of puppets. And um, I put together a deck, and I took it out there, and I couldn't get any buyers. I mm. couldn't get anyone to do it. And, uh, and then he passed away. And then somehow it came back around to me. The estate reached out to mass appeal and um i was a partner there and uh i was interested yet again in trying to tell the story and this time it worked out you know it's um there are so many sides to biz markey that are illuminated by up in the biz you know clown prince of hip-hop all right anybody of a certain age remembers that uh and it's so limiting, you know. One of the things, Sasha, that I was so struck by, and I thought I knew Biz's career well, was in addition to being very ambitious and competitive, as all rappers in that era, in every era, have been, right? He was generous. How much he fostered the careers of other artists, gave them a leg up, and, you know, spread the word of hip-hop in general, not just the career of Biz Markey. Yeah, I mean, I think he was a sensitive guy. I think he was someone who was seen as other or different and had rough circumstances that he had to live through. And I think he, that gave him a sensitivity, you know, where he just wanted to be liked by people and he wanted to like people and he was just a good guy. I mean, not often in hip-hop do you get to tell a story about a guy who's like a complete goofball, who's completely <laughs> comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. but still has the respect of the hardest thugs in hip-hop. You know, the, the most respected lyricists in hip-hop will shed tears for the man. Oh, that, that well, scene at the end where Big Daddy Kane kind of breaks up, remembering uh, Biz, as I wouldn't be here without him. Yeah, I mean, in, in many ways, he's like hip-hop's Jesus. Hmm. Hip-hop's Forrest Gump, or it's a combination of hip-hop's Jesus and Forrest Gump. I mean, mm. he just was everywhere... And he touched people in, in ways that were just very human, very uh, sensitive, not very competitive. Mm -hmm. Although in the film, you see he also had a competitive side where Eric Sermon talked about how uh, he ran into him at the Waffle House and asked him how his demo was going. But kind of like, you know, not as he said, he wasn't being very supportive when he asked about his demo, which is hilarious. Yeah. Tell us, especially for listeners who don't know, and we're going to try to encourage them to see this film, because it's a great look at the earliest days of hip-hop, the evolution of hip-hop on the East Coast, as well as one fascinating individual. Tell us, um, you know, the accidental way that Biz, you know, fell into beatboxing, fell into rapping. The accidental way he fell into it? Well, yeah, it was kind of like, um, you know, he didn't invent beatboxing. He heard it, and then he perfected it. Well, yeah, he, he heard it and kind of made his own style, which hip-hop is all about. It's one thing to copy, which isn't really respected, but it's okay to copy and kind of carve out your own sort of style or niche. And that's basically what he did with Dougie Fresh. He's kind of watched what Dougie Fresh did, was completely floored by what he did, and very humbly asked him, like, hey, can I come to your house? Like, you know, can I, basically, can I learn from you what it is that you do? And um, Dougie first essentially said he wasn't that great at first, but eventually he fell into his own kind of style and his own sounds. But um, he was a, just a seeker of knowledge, a seeker of hip hop knowledge and hip hop experience. And so he learned from the very best by very simply humbling himself and asking. But you got to remember, these guys were like not men. They were kids. I mean, these sure. are kids learning from kids, making music for other kids. So. Well, and the Forrest Gump comparison you made, when Biz would say, do you mind if I stop by and see how you do this? He would come and basically never leave. <laughs> it happens again and again and again. He'd keep inviting himself. He'd show up in the house. You know, he just... And he, didn't have a, he didn't have a car or a cell phone or even a pager. And this is, you know, he's coming from far away Long Island to Harlem. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. You get into the, uh, the roots of hip-hop, as Jim was uh, saying, Sasha. You have this... Uh, sense of i think there was a line that you're talking about in the movie where the lunchrooms the classroom experience was uh you know 
you go to these lunchrooms and you and you do hip hop. You do your beatboxing in front of kids, other kids at high schools, and Biz was sort of bouncing around all over Long Island and, and New York City, right? I mean, he was just kind of like this itinerant. It was almost like a troubadour, right? Going from lunchroom to lunchroom and doing his thing. I mean, that's what's amazing about it. The talent was in, in the lunchroom, you know, like who knew? But he knew. He was the guy who knew that you go to the lunchroom <laughs> to find the talent. And everyone swore that he went to their school because he would be there so much. But all these schools that he was visiting the lunchrooms, he actually was not a student at any of those schools. And that would <laughs> never, ever happen in 2023. There's no way some random kid slash adult would be in a lunchroom who didn't belong there. Yeah, you couldn't even get into the school, right, nowadays, right, yeah. without some kind of pass or something like that. But that's fascinating. Nobody beats the biz. 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 You know, he, he had a tough upbringing, as you said, and uh, made it through the foster care system. We see uh, his wife showing off his collection. He, he loved to collect these toys. <laughs> you know? And you kind of posit gently that um, when he was a success, he was able to buy the toys he never had as a kid. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing with hip-hop. Like, usually the second album is about how you blew up with the first album and, you know, no, the girls wouldn't want to get with you and you, you didn't have the best clothes. But usually by that second album... You know, they're talking about the jewelry they have. And, of course, Bismarcky had lots of jewelry, which you will see in the film. But while most people would just spend their money maybe on jewelry, he might buy a bunch of Barbie dolls from the 70s. It's still in the case. So what, what can I tell you? Yeah. Yeah. His collection was extraordinary. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned the fact that he was sort of a joker. Obviously, he was. He was a, the clown prince of hip hop. And how this cut against the grain of what a lot of hip-hop or a lot of rap artists aspired to be at that time. Sasha, could you address how unique and also difficult that must have been? Like, you got to be really good to pull this off because everybody's doing this style in this way. The harder, the better. And then this guy's coming along telling jokes. And it's really cutting against the grain of where the music was headed, right? So how, how did he pull that off? Well, I think ultimately it's because... What he was doing was what how hip-hop started. Hip-hop wasn't like gangsters and thugs. It was people in parks having looking to have fun, looking to have lighthearted fun. So the way he expressed himself, his jokes, I mean, the dozens is a big part of hip-hop and black culture. So it's like he incorporated all these very familiar things that are in everyday life in the black community in a, in a way that was true to himself, but also true to the essence of what hip-hop was. It wasn't always about tough guys and hard asses. It was about, like, having fun. And Bismarck, he's just, you, you mentioned Bismarck to anyone, and the first thing they'll probably say is fun. Like, mm -hmm. no one's mad. No one's angry. No one's trying to be something that they're not. No one's having to be insecure. And he, he's so comfortable with himself. He's talking about making songs about picking boogers. Like, <laughs> Everyone's at ease when they're around the guy. Yeah, and picturing himself sitting on the toilet and, uh, you know, he, he was self-deprecating. But he had, you know, the thing is he seemed to have so much respect from his peers who laughed along with him. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking, like, just it was only a couple of years later that we have KRS-One bum-rushing PM Dawn, you know. And, you know, even De La Soul, who we have a little bit in the film, uh, got a lot of crap, you know, for its hippie, you know, uh, take on things, which never was really true. But Biz seemed immune to that. Well, I mean, like the De La Soul guys, they're from Long Island, right? So they've got a chip on their shoulder. P people are thinking these are some suburban middle-class blacks who don't fight, who aren't tough. So, of course, they're in a position where they've got to prove themselves. Biz was originally from Harlem, so he came from the hood. He moved to the suburbs with the foster family. So in his mind, he's probably like, I came from the struggle. Like, I don't want to be that. And I want to be in the suburbs having fun. So... He didn't really have to anything to prove to anyone. That's mm -hmm. very comfortable in his skin. And I think that's a really important part of understanding him. The guy, for someone who many thought was, quote unquote, challenge, you know, had some challenges. He knew exactly. He was very conscious of how he was perceived. And he used that to his advantage. But also he was very comfortable and understood who he was and just rolled with it. 
People thought he was crazy when he wanted to record this song, Just a Friend. In fact, one advisor threw it off uh, the hotel balcony, right? And it turns out, I mean, it's impossible to imagine this happening today. turns out to be a huge hit, a top 40 hit. Yeah, I mean, again, but I think it's the essence, it's the pure essence of Bismarcky, the sort of being off-key and self-deprecating, but still confident at the same time. I think that song has all of that covered, and that's what why so many people are drawn to it. Have you ever met a girl that you tried to date? But a year to make love, she wanted you to wait. Let me tell you a story of my situation. I was talking to this girl from the U.S. nation. The way that I met her was on tour at a concert. She had long hair. In a world where everyone in hip hop is serious, nobody smiling as Rakim says, um, Bismarck is smiling. <laughs> right. I mean, we went back to uh, Rakim's lunchroom and he, he wept, recounting, you know, where he was. When I asked him, so where were you when when Bismarcky when you heard he passed and he said I came right back to this very room which mm. I had no idea and he said he came back to where I first met him in this room where we were rhyming together you know what I mean Rakim the guy who famously said nobody's smiling is yeah, crying right 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 he's not telling me to turn off the camera he's having a real moment where he's just vulnerable and um, I think with men in general and with black men specifically that you don't often get those kinds of moments and in hip hop, especially, but Bismarcky, all that stuff goes out the window. People love the guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well now in hip hop, you would have gotten a high level R and B singer, you know, to sing the hook, right? Let's get Rihanna on here to sing this. And Biz sang it himself and woefully off-key, but <laughs> his whole heart and soul was into it. And yeah. it seemed to me somehow more, I think people took it as genuine. And, you know, you, you hear it to this day and you can't help but light up. It seems to be like, like he almost knew that it was so oddball that it was going to have some staying power. It was going to connect with people. he do a great job in the movie of talking about the the vision that he had not just you know okay i'm going to sing the hook because nobody else wants to but then the whole concepts behind the videos and everything it seemed like he had idea you know a, a fully formed idea of how he wanted to present himself the image everything it all came together and it was all coming from him basically right he was a dreamer you know, he wanted to dream a new life, a new exist existence for himself. And that's what's great about hip hop. With hip hop, you can completely control your destiny. You can design who you want to be. And he was an architect early on who understood that he could put on his hip hop cape and become whoever he wanted to be. And he knew exactly who he wanted to be. Yeah. Which uh, most people at that age certainly don't know who they want to be. So it's pretty right. impressive. You know, at, at first, uh, Sasha, I was thrown by the uh, deathbed scenes, and and Biz, uh, you know, was was in the hospital for what was it a year, right before his death, at a ridiculously young age of fifty-seven. Um, you know, we see Tara, his wife, with the puppet, <laughs> and the doctors in the background. You know, and I was like, "Wow, is this too much, or what is?" And then I realized. Wait a minute, this is the guy who loved doing Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> of course he loved puppets. This is perfect. Right. I mean, and I honestly discussed this. I mean, I didn't discuss his wife playing herself with him in the hospital for a year. But we discussed things like puppets. And, he, you know, he loved the show Crank Anchors. He was on the show. And I actually got one of the puppeteers from Crank Anchors to make the puppet. Mm. Um, so. I mean, some people don't like Puppet, honest, you know, being honest. I, Big Daddy Kane said he loves the film. He's not, a, he's not a fan of the Puppet. He had a different relationship with Biz than, than any of us, so I have to respect his opinion and how he feels. But I know for a fact that he would have wanted that. I know for a fact that he was good with that. Mm -hmm. You know, oddly enough, it's a random story, but we were 
in Brooklyn going to the soundstage. We were scouting the soundstage where we were going to shoot the puppet scene. And I was making a joke about how we need to get a cereal box with Bismarcky on it called like, you know, Biz's links and the cereal will be his gold links from a ch his gold chain. Mm. And someone tapped me on my shoulder and said, look over there. And there was a homeless guy with his shirt off with a dookie rope chain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was real or fake, but it doesn't matter. Right, like, right. That was Bismarcky telling me I'm on the right path. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, fascinating. You get into the um, Alone Again Naturally. Some people would say it ended Biz's career. Obviously, your documentary makes makes the case that it didn't. How big of a blow was that? I mean, you know, a landmark copyright case, you know, sampling a bit of this uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan song from 1972, Alone Again Naturally, for Biz's hit, Alone Again. Apparently, your movie, too, and I hadn't heard this story, Sasha, about the the label boss, if he'd simply anteed up $10,000 instead of trying yeah. to uh, cut the price of the sample, uh, would have cleared the sample and everything would have been fine. So on that few thousand bucks hangs uh, Bismarcky's career, right? I mean, how did Biz handle that? What was your sense of how Biz was able to handle that blow? I mean, no one really understood sampling at that point. It was still very early. I mean, obviously, if everyone knew that you just pay the guy and it would have been okay. They would have done it. But people were very arrogant at that point because they were so used to not clearing samples. So I think it it was really a blow to Biz. I think he felt um, betrayed on some level. He felt like he couldn't make the music that he wanted to make because the hip hop that he was reared on was like in the parks and it was like DJs playing music and playing stuff that wasn't really intended to be wrapped over, but it was wrapped over. And I think that at that point, which the film kind of argues, he made the pivot towards being a DJ and he wound up being a world-class DJ, one of the highest paid DJs in the world. So in a way it, he was returning to the essence of hip hop, which it all starts with the DJ anyway, right? So mm he's -hmm. being true to hip hop, but as far as being a rapper, making hip hop music, I feel like he felt like that was, you know, how he wanted to do it wasn't possible anymore. So well, and, you know, the system was rigged, Sasha. If, if you read up on that trial, which sets the precedent still to this day, the judge not only had to continually ask the um, lawyers for a definition of what R&B is, he was unfamiliar with the term. Um, he also, in his ruling, you know, quoted the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. And anybody I mean, who can listen to what Biz did versus what uh, uh, the original was, it's like, no, no, that's not stealing. Right, right. I mean, that's all. What you're talking about is the whole other separate podcast that can go on for it years. It could. <laughs> I was going to say, brother, that that could be another hour-long documentary that would be fascinating. Yeah. I'm staying away from uh, I recently did a series called Everything's Going to Be All White. It was a three-part series for Showtime, and I got barbecued even by black people. So I'm going to stay away from it. <laughs> stuff for a while but, um, yeah sampling it's an art form like as prince paul says in the film like he should have learned from us i mean we went through it with the turtles right he have read the writing on the wall but he you know he opened the floodgates and uh changed the game so yeah those two cases together with paul's boutique i mean what a mess yep i'm alone again naturally Alone again, naturally. So I went into What's his legacy, Sasha? What do you think his? Do you see his influence today in hip hop? How do people look back on on his on his life and and music uh, today? And how does it hold up? Today's hip hop, I can't really comment on, but I will say that I think his legacy is being true to himself and sticking to his guns. You know, when no one else believed in just a friend he did and he stuck with it and it was a major hit i mean and that philosophy is applicable to life in general not just hip-hop right but mm -hmm. i think he was true to himself and true to who he was and was confident in that and in, in, in that confidence it, it, it warmed him up to so many people and um he had a hand in the careers of Big Daddy Kane and Rakim, just that there is more than enough to make him someone who is super important. But then you connect him to 
beatboxing and, and sort of spreading that gospel and you connect them to, you know, even though it changed the game, but, you know, it's sampling. I mean, this mm -hmm. film is really a hip hop film. It's about hip hop. Mm -hmm. It's about is, but really, if you pay attention closely, it touches on a lot of aspects of what hip hop culture is. And um, yeah, me and my twilight years, sort of nearing the end of my hip hop film phase, I felt like it was <laughs> Good way to go out with hip-hop yeah so sasha one last thing we ask our guests such as yourself to pick a track that they can't live without for today you know a desert island track right doesn't have to be an all-timer but what what today would you take with you she's all right by muddy waters off of the electric mud album oh, oh that album yeah you, you know jim and i talk about that album a lot because it it doesn't get a lot of love from the purists right and, and i remember chuck d talking to me about it once and he he loved that record that was the record that got me into muddy and etc when did you hear that and why did it strike you as a classic i've heard it first through you know um mugs from cypress hill samples it and so then i got into uh, discovered the record i mean I, i'm a guitar player i love the blues but I love psychedelic rock too, and it just to me it's just I think Rotary Connection yeah. versus Batman, and I mean the bass guitar playing on that album is just I don't it just hits me really deeply in my soul. Like I I can feel the way the bass pulses in my arms. It's just it's to me it's just amazing. I mean it's an amazing combination of like a real black man from the South who's been through some sh and some young black hippies who are making contemporary music of the time yeah putting that together is just like i mean to me that could spawn a whole genre i mean i yeah. think that jack white and you know um the black keys i mean i think guys like that understand the potency of that sound mm -hmm. have their own thing but i think what that thing was even though money didn't like it you know he saw money in it he was hoping that it would make him you know rich yeah yeah. But I mean, I could have 20 albums and stuff that sounds like that. And apparently Hendrix really liked that album a lot. Yeah. Which I, yeah. yeah. Those are all Chicago guys. That was Louis Satterfield on bass, by the way. And Philip Church on guitars. I mean, great band. You're absolutely right about Rotary Connection. It was um, a fantastic uh, project. And thank you for giving them some love. I don't know if we get given enough love to Rotary Connection think so. on the show. You know? I don't think so. We have mentioned uh, Electric Mud from time to time, but I uh, yeah. can't mention it too much. That's right. Exactly. I give all, all of my money. Tell me what more can I do? Well, now, really, don't believe you don't give out my money to you. Well, it's quite an accomplishment, Sasha. Uh, all up in the biz. Congratulations. What a tribute. What a fascinating movie. Um, Thanks for coming on Sound Opinions, man. My pleasure. That wraps up our discussion about Biz Markey. What a fun conversation with Sasha. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, another fun, deep conversation uh, with uh, another fantastic hip-hop artist, yes. uh, Vic Mensa. And don't forget to check out our bonus podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our Columbia College intern is Max Hatlam, and our social media consultant is Katie Cott. <laughs>